There's probably no better time to motivate your customers to spend a little more than on Black Friday. You just need to give them that little bit of motivation. That's where the Bold Motivator app comes in. It's one of the go-to apps I tell merchants to use to increase average order value. The app lets you create goals, like free shipping or a free gift when a customer spends a certain amount. Then each time a customer adds something to the cart, a progress bar rolls down from the top of the page, telling them how much more they need to spend to get the offer. I'll give you the inside track. The folks at Bold tell me they generally see an increase in average order value immediately after stores install the app, with some stores seeing a 20% increase. Sure, there are other similar apps out there, but the Bold version is the only one with a few key features. It lets you offer free gifts and automatically add and remove them as customers reach or don't reach their goal. It lets you schedule your offers to start and stop so that you don't have to get up on midnight on Thanksgiving to start your promotion. And most importantly, it lets you geolocate your offers. Maybe you only offer free shipping at 100 bucks in the United States, but not in other countries. If so, just set Bold Motivator to only show in the U.S., and the app won't show that offer in other countries. So if you're not giving your customers a reason to spend a little more each time they add something to the cart, you're leaving money on the table. You can fix that with the Bold Motivator app by adding it to your store free for 14 days. Visit boldcommerce.com or search Bold Motivator in the Shopify app store. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily, and it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit, plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them. They are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com slash unofficial. That's seomanager.com slash unofficial. Hello and welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, recording from beautiful, lovely Skokie, Illinois. It is one of those nice days where I could see the Willis Tower, formerly Sears Tower, from my office building, the fifth floor high above Westfield Old Orchard Mall. Uh, And today we are joined by an entrepreneur who has really chosen to succeed in an incredibly competitive space. Uh, and at the same time, that wasn't enough. She also turned around and creates info products and is teaching people uh, and coaching people in the same space and has authored a book. Oh, my gosh. Like, I, my head spins thinking about making all this work. So our, our guest today is Megan Ahmed. Megan has built her own high-end jewelry business on Shopify. She knows what it takes to sell art and handmade products online, which is, that is tremendously difficult to do. 
and is going to share with us today the mistakes artists make when selling online and how she succeeds with Pinterest and email marketing. But that's not it. In addition to that, uh, being a jewelry designer, Megan is a metalsmith, an educator, and certainly an entrepreneur with a decade of experience selling art. Uh, and it, uh, in addition to all of that, she is founder of Designing an MBA, which features business thinking for artists and makers, and artists and profit makers, an online mentorship community, and a best-selling creative live instructor with her designs having been featured in El Decor, Better Homes and Gardens, Cooking Light, and on some sweet blogs like Design Sponge, one of my favorites. She even just released a new ebook that sounds fabulous. Try it and see how to get shit done while overanalyzing everything. Man, that sounds like right, right up my alley. Megan, welcome. How did you find the time between all of that? Oh, thank you for having me. Um, I like to work a lot, um, and I'm just super passionate about talking to people and um, sharing what I do. And also, I feel like half the things I should I've done in the last like three months, I should be really clear because I basically stopped hanging out on Instagram. I was like, I'm going to quit Instagram, and then I wrote a book instead. So, so um, I think it's for me. There's a lot of like being really smart with how I use my time. Oh man, there's already so much to unpack there. I don't <laughs> even know where to go. So a lot of people. <laughs> Like, that's a common thing. Like, I feel overwhelmed or I don't have enough time or how do you get all this done? And my wife probably gets that question more than I do. The, but you're right. You said, like, whenever I hear people go, well, I don't have time to do all this stuff. I go, all right, when was the last time you binge watched a show on Netflix? And they're like, oh, <laughs> right. And of course, like, leisure time is important. But you're right. You said you saw, you were, saw time going down the drain on Instagram and said, all right, I'm just going to quit that and go do something else. So that like, okay, lesson one, uh, do you have any, any additional thoughts there? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's so important just to think about like where you're spending your time and what the ROI is. And I totally agree with you. I think leisure time is so important. And actually, I've been trying to be better about cultivating leisure time, because clearly, if it's not clear, I'm a workaholic. Um, and so I think, you know, it's really important to do that. But I also... I looked at my Instagram stats one day and I was like, dude, I'm spending an hour and a half every day on Instagram. That's a solid part-time job. And I probably don't need to be spending that much time on there for the ROI that I'm seeing. I certainly still maintain a presence on there because people follow me. It's part of my business. But um, just really thinking strategically about how you're spending your time um, is is a big one because usually there's there's time to steal somewhere if you can be smart about it. And what did you use to figure out how much time you were spending on Instagram? Instagram actually tells you if you go under your profile and you go into insights, it's like they, they hide it because if everyone looked at this, we would all be like, holy shit, like, <laughs> what am I doing with my life? Um, but if you go under insights, it, for most profiles, there's some types of business profiles it doesn't tell you, but for most profiles, it'll actually tell you like, this is the amount of time you spend on Instagram every day. You can also set alerts to remind you to stop, like to get off. Like you can say, I've been on here for 15 minutes. It's time to get off. It'll alert you. Um, but yeah, I just looked at that stat one day and I was like, whoa, I could be doing other things with my time. And I'll, I, I will make a, a book recommendation here. If this is, if you think to yourself, man, I spent too much time on your phone, on my phone. The answer is you probably do. And it is like a horrifying amount. And I, that is probably true of everybody. I would suggest how to break up with your phone. I read this on an airplane um, and I'm still struggling with breaking up my phone, but it was a tremendously valuable read that really helped in like being mindful um, and setting limits around it. So I haven't read that one, but I would also add in there Cal Newport's Digital Minimalism. Um, that was the big one for me that kind of covers this that same sort of ground. There's, an, I think, a number of books sort of addressing that. Um, but yeah, I love 
I, I think we need help. We all need help with that because we're all kind of addicted. We're our, so we're, we're five minutes into this and already we've got two book recommendations. So you're going to need to free up some time to read those books. That's the tell. It's like I used to read so much and it was so helpful uh, or like listen to audiobooks and stuff. Um, Audible's great uh, if you have a commute. And then I've got three kids now and I'm like, where? what happened to when I used to just read? <laughs> I, just, I don't do it anymore. I figure when they get older, it'll start again, but... Yeah, well, and what's funny is I have no kids, and I was sitting there thinking the same thing. I was like, I used to read all the time, and then I stopped, and so then I realized the culprit was my phone uh, and made a few changes to fix that. You know what? You're right. It probably is the phone is the culprit, and I'm just, like, blaming my poor kids, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> if I'm honest. Well, and it's funny, too, because I – so. I don't have kids, but I do coach high school cross country and track. So I spend a lot of oh, cool. time coaching. Um, but one of the things that I realized is when I would leave there, I'm like, oh, I didn't look at my phone in three hours and it was amazing. And I was like, wait, if I can go three hours while I'm coaching and not look at my phone, I can probably go three hours during my day and not look at my phone too. Okay. Let's get back to you. So <laughs> you have, a, we've established, you've accomplished a ton and certainly you have wisdom. Um, you've gained wisdom along the way and that you're you're freeing up time and, and making these mindful choices. But when did this start? How long ago, how long have you been on this, this entrepreneurial journey? And uh, what was the thing that got it started? So I'm really lucky. I grew up doing art and my parents were always super supportive of that. And so when I came home one day in, in high school and said, I'm going to be a metalsmithing major, they were like, sure, sounds great. Um, so I actually went to college for metalsmithing and, um, because I am, I've always loved art, but I'm super pragmatic and my dad owns his own business. And so even though I was an art major, I did minor in entrepreneurship, which I will admit, I feel like I didn't learn anything practical <laughs> in my entrepreneurship classes, but it did at least establish, like, I can think about art and I can think about business at the same time. Um, so I got my BFA in metalsmithing and then because I had no idea what to do with a BFA in metalsmithing, I went and got my MFA in metals and jewelry as well because that seemed like the logical solution. Um, and so I said while I was getting my MFA that I was either going to become um, a college professor or that I was going to start my own business. And I got it one year college professor job as a sabbatical replacement. And in that one year, I learned that I did not want to be a university professor. That was not the gig for me. It's too much bureaucracy. It's just, it was not what I wanted. And so uh, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to start my own business. And so that was the year that I did that was 06, 07. So it kind of gave me like that runway to figure out, okay, how am I going to make money from my jewelry? Uh, I started a blog because I was seeing those around and I was like, okay, I'm just going to start this blog thing. I don't know. And then I was doing retail craft shows. I started wholesale um, and I started on Etsy in 2007. And I, I very firmly remember like sitting on my bed with my laptop, like publishing stuff to Etsy and feeling this huge sense of relief. And then nothing happened for like six months. <laughs> just not like it was crickets. And in the meantime, I was doing other things with my business, but it's like crickets on Etsy. And so, um, and then eventually Etsy was never super great for me in terms of sales. And so I was like, I got to get off this place. So eventually Etsy turned into, I think I started on big cartel for like a hot minute. Um, and then transitioned to Shopify when I realized it had way more features that I wanted. So you were on Etsy, uh, 12 years ago. And even then it was both it sounds like it was incredibly difficult and competitive. What do you think the, having failed on Etsy, and I say it in the most loving way, what do you think the trick is with Etsy? Like, why were you, why was Etsy a bad fit for you? So the reason that Etsy was a really bad fit for me is because my products were priced appropriately, which means they weren't cheap. 
So that's the biggest issue that you see with Etsy is that it's just like drives the price down like crazy. Oh, it's unreal. It's ridiculous. Like, actually, that's one of the things that catapulted my designing an MBA blog was that I wrote a blog post called Etsy and the Culture of Cheap. Um, this was back in like 2010 that gained a ton of traction um, because basically what I was saying is like, there's this problem on Etsy that it's just so many makers create this downward price spiral and then and you can't compete. But fortunately, because I had really good mentors and because I was already getting into like retail craft shows and getting into wholesale where I was selling to stores, like I knew where my prices needed to be. And so at the end of the day, I put things on Etsy and my prices were higher than what the casual Etsy shopper was used to. So that was one factor. And then the other one was that I made the classic internet mistake that I think most artists and makers and probably a lot of people make, which is that theory that if I build it, they will come. So <laughs> there was very little marketing happening to my Etsy shop on top of that. But what I realized for me is if I'm going to drive traffic to somewhere, I'm not going to drive it to Etsy where my competitors are literally a click away. I want to drive it to my own shop where I have control. I, you have so, so much wisdom. I'm like, try, I can't, normally I'm like taking notes and I'm like, all right, here's my follow-up. Uh, <laughs> I can't even keep up on my follow-ups. That's how much good stuff there is in here. Yeah. So no, a hundred percent I have noticed and uh, guiltily taken advantage of the problem that you have um, outlined with Etsy is you can often like I number I use Etsy to buy just phenomenal custom handmade one of a kind gifts for my wife because it is it's tough to do gift shopping and I love my wife so we're I'm gonna put in some effort and at Etsy I've gotten the coolest stuff for like nothing and I every time I want to scream oh my gosh you need to be charging like three to four times what you did for this. But then at the same time, like, I don't want to be the dude mansplaining to people how to run their business, especially when I don't know jack about Etsy. And I like, it's, you're right. It, it probably is just a race to the bottom. Uh, but I actually, I actually have a Pinterest board called please raise your prices. And sometimes when I just come across great. really cool stuff that I'm like, this is too cheap. I just pin it right to there. Yeah. Just like as an example, I, a wonderful anniversary gift. I had a fashion illustration of my wife's couture wedding dress made and it was like 30 bucks. I mean, it, and then just recently we're going uh, on a Disneyland trip. And for Mother's Day, one of the gifts I got her was uh, I had a, a custom uh, Minnie Mouse uh, halter top made. It was less than $20 shipped. It was hand custom made to her dimensions. Like, I well, part of me was like, you know, this might be a scam. Like, I'm just getting something from China. And because that has that does happen on Etsy. No, it's the real deal. And I'm like, so, I'm, you know, try to support these people and write the reviews. But, yeah, et maybe Etsy's a lost cause. So you gave up on Etsy. But what was your motivation to keep going? So luckily for me, I always had other revenue coming in. So this is one of the other mistakes that, like, I see with a lot of artists and makers now is they're like, I'm just going to build my entire business online. And I'm like, dude online is so hard in and of itself. Like it's definitely an important piece of the puzzle, but when you're trying to sell one of a kind, handmade, unique products, it's really, really tricky. And so what helped me was that in the beginning, I did a few retail craft shows and very quickly also determined that was not the life for me. I hated standing in a tent in the rain. Um, but then I ended up getting into what's called the New York gift show. It's now called New York now, which is a big wholesale trade show. And ironically, even though I never sold a lot on Etsy, um, I was at one point the Etsy featured seller. And so the committee that chose people for that show recognized me from Etsy and knew my work. And so I got into the show. So even though I never sold a lot on Etsy in the early days, it 
totally opened up a lot of doors for me. Um, but so I was doing wholesale pretty much from the beginning. And so um, right from the start, I was generating a lot of revenue. So I knew that people liked my jewelry. I knew what products were selling. I knew what people were buying. Um, and that gave me the time and space to kind of do the slow build in my, um, in my e-commerce shop. So I could say, okay, I'm generating revenue here and I'm going to try to figure out this e-commerce thing, but it's not, doesn't have to be my sole source of income because I've got stores that are buying my work. And of course, when stores are buying your work, that's also getting the word out about your business. So then that helps because a store is never going to carry my entire product line. If someone finds me in a store, falls in love with me, they're going to come to my you know, website, come to my e-com shop. So it's also, in addition to revenue generating, wholesale was this whole other form of marketing um, that was really important to kind of keep my business going. So if you were, if you were able to go back in time and start again, you'd say, all right, I, a, first, I'm going to put up the, the basic online presence just to have it started and out there and get a foothold. And then immediately I'm going to turn around and start trying to sell wholesale. Yeah, absolutely. And I would, so I would add in there in that basic web presence, the number one thing I would do, which I started a little bit late, but still had the foresight to do was put email capture right on that web presence, because that is by far in a way, the biggest way that I sell in my online shop is through my email list. So you know, I would definitely get that basic web presence up, but I would make sure that I'm capturing email of people who are interested in my work. And then I would turn around and, and I would, I would do the same thing all over again. I, even now where the landscape is different, like I don't think people do wholesale shows are, are still useful. They're not quite what they used to be, but there are still plenty of stores buying product and it's just so much easier to market to a store buyer than it is to try to market to a random person who maybe wants a piece of jewelry, but they don't really need it, but they sort of like it, but they maybe want it. When you put it like that, it seems terribly obvious, doesn't it? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, absolutely. You want that that email list and that brand building from day one. And why start with trying to sell, like give people the option to buy, but jump to wholesale where you could get your message, you could disseminate your message faster and get larger revenues moving through more quickly. And those are going to be like, yeah, it's lower profit, but those are going, it's also bigger order values. Um, and more consistent order values, and it has that that ripple effect of, well, other people buy, and then maybe they also buy, and other merchants see it, like there's, because you're, even if people aren't buying it, the stuff is still displayed in a physical store somewhere, right? Right. It's it's literally, you're getting paid to have someone else market your work, um, which is such a huge advantage, um, and it, it's just a faster, more consistent way to grow, and then you can use that revenue that you're generating to sit down and figure out, okay, what are the... Th products that people gravitate to? What should I be blogging about? What should I be emailing my list about? What do people care about? Um, it just helps you kind of learn your line because I think that's the other problem is when you just sell online first, you're basically throwing stuff out and it's like, nobody's buying, but you have no idea why they're not buying. Right. Like you literally don't know anything. You don't get any feedback, which is why I always say like, you got to put your work in front of humans at some point, whether that's, you know, for artists and makers, maybe it's a retail show, maybe it's wholesale, whatever it is. But at some point you got to talk to humans about your work because the internet is not going to give you any kind of useful feedback. If you just throw up your website and like keep your fingers crossed. Yeah, no, it's, it's that approach is, um, someone on the show, I forgot who, maybe it was Andrew Foxwell, phrased it as, you're going into a cave with a flashlight. <laughs> like you, there is all of this info out here, this huge audience, and you have the tiniest sliver of the whole picture because you are so really like cut off from from people and feedback in that state. Um, and it 
it makes it incredibly difficult to troubleshoot and scale the business when it's like, all right, I don't, you literally have no idea what part of this marketing funnel or the site is, is not functioning is the reason that people aren't buying the, you mentioned content. You mentioned like, all right, this is what I'm going to, I want to start being able to figure out what I should blog about, what I should send out newsletters about. You are in a space, you're making jewelry. I have often seen clients like this struggle to do content marketing. Like it's easy to do lifestyle photos, but they don't know what to produce content about. And today, now more than ever, quality content is how you cut through the noise. Give me the crash course in content marketing for these creative uh, verticals. Yeah. So the first thing that I always say is that when you are an artist or maker, you should stop thinking about content as written words and you should start thinking about it as your images. Um, That's like the huge shift that people have to make because if you think like, oh my gosh, I have to write like super, super useful content and it's got to be these really long blog posts or these really long emails, that's where you get tripped up and you don't do it at all. And so that's the first thing is like, you sell a product that's very visual, that's very visceral. And so that's how you should be connecting with with customers. And so when I started thinking about like my blog, cause I've been blogging for a long time. Um, like I said, since 2006, but when I started thinking about my blog as not being like a blog where I wrote blog posts, but as actually a container for images that I wanted to share on Pinterest, all of a sudden it like took off as this, I think I, there was one year where I did like 250 blog posts in a year, which is a hell of a lot of blog content. Um, but most of it is because they were 250 just- in a year. 250 blog posts in a year, I think. No, maybe it was only 200. Either way, it's a lot of blog posts. Well, either way, you're, I mean, if 250, you're posting uh, more than every other day. Sometimes yeah, there were like, months in where a row. I, there were literally entire months where I posted every day, where I blogged every single day. But it was basically an image and then a little bit of like me saying something out the image and then here's where you go buy my products. And that was the entire thing. Um, but I was doing that so that I could then pin them to Pinterest so that I could get people to go. So that's the first thing is like, think about image first. And then I also think it's so important that we think about how our products are used as opposed to just how we make them. So when I, I did this, when I first started blogging too, I was like, here's me in my studio. And I still share those types of images because that kind of connection is so important so that people know, Hey, you're buying from a real human and not a factory or not a scammer in China. So that's important, but it's also important to help people see how your art or how your products fit into their real life. And so now a lot of my blog content is me being like, okay, I'm going to stick a ring on my thumb because then it's easier to photograph and I'm going to hold up my coffee mug and I'm going to take a picture of it. Or like I'm out in the world and here's me holding my iced latte and now I'm going to take a picture of that and put it on my blog. Um, And I do that because honestly, that content does incredibly well on Pinterest. It gets shared, it gets seen because people want to see products in use in real life. And then that's the entire post is like, I went, I went to Florida and here's me holding my iced latte and wearing a ring and here's where you buy the ring. Um, So I think that's the thing is, Artists and makers tend to really overcomplicate content. But if you can think about either A, how do you deepen a connection with your audience? Or B, how do you show your products in use? Um, those two things right there could give you years or in my case, decades of content. You just laid out the whole strategy. You gave away the farm. I did. I just gave away the whole farm. And you know what? I do that because I guarantee you that 99% of the people listening to this are still not going to do it because they're going to put up all of these mental roadblocks about why it's too hard or why it doesn't work or why they can't do it. And so they're not. So I'm going to, I tell people, you know, every person I talk to, I'm like, these are the things you should be doing and you should be putting those on your blog and you should be emailing, emailing your list. And they go, yep, Megan, I believe you. And then they don't do it anyway. So I'm going to give away that farm all day long because most people aren't going to take the advice anyway. Hold up. We'll hear more after this quick break. Support for this podcast comes from Simpler. 
a new way to staff 24-7 sales and customer service on your Shopify store. It works with your existing email and chat tools, so setup is quick and easy. Simpler provides on-demand, US-based customer service specialists to answer your customers' most common questions. Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat with 24-7 Simpler specialists. Find out more at simpler.ai. That's S-I-M-P-L-R dot A-I. And now back to the show. Hit me. What is the, what's happening there? What is this? You have someone, and I see this all the time. Somebody goes, all right, I, I want to start my business. I've got this thing I'm passionate about. I've even validated it. Uh, tell me how to get more sales. And you're like, all right, well, here's the exact strategy. And it's honestly not that hard. And then they're like, yeah, you're right. And then they don't do anything. What's going on there? So there are a couple things. So one, if we're looking at content marketing, that is a slower build strategy. You're not going to write one blog post and then suddenly have like a million dollars in sales. It doesn't work like that. But people think like, oh, I wrote one blog post or I sent out one email and nobody bought anything. So clearly like it doesn't work. Megan lied to me. I'm going to move on. So I think that's the first thing is like they don't, they don't want to put in the time to see that commitment. But then I think the other thing is we get like shiny object syndrome. You're like, okay, well, uh, yeah, I have to blog, but I also have to be on Instagram and I have to be on Facebook and should I be doing YouTube? And like, what about this other thing? And you know, maybe I should start a podcast and blah, 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 blah. And so people get in this like real sense of it's like decision paralysis or like procrastinate research or whatever it is. They think they have to find like all the solutions and they never just bother to implement one of them. Um, and so they just get like caught up in their own brains. And it's part of that is like a, I don't want to say like a stall tactic, but it's like, well, if I have this idea and I tell people about this idea, then it's, it's an idea that might work. But if I start doing it and it fails, then I'm a failure. And so I think a lot of that is, it is like that fear of failure of like, well, if I just talk about the idea, then it's, it's still good. But as soon as I start doing it, if it doesn't work, then that makes me a failure. Whereas I tend to look at it as like, I mean, that's why I called my ebook, try it and see. So like the idea is that you just try everything and some things work and some things don't. And I don't actually call anything a failure. I just pretty much call it all learning experiences. Oh, so I tried that. It worked. It didn't work. And if it works, I keep doing it. But with going back to the content marketing and the email discussion, those things aren't going to work because you did them once or twice or even five times. It's that build over time. And so you have to give things time to mature too. Yeah. In your case, it sounds like, all right, the many of your efforts to see results, it was like, this is, we're going to see maybe results in six months and 12 months will be like, okay, yeah, that worked. Whereas if you do it for even a month and give up, what's that going to do for you? Yeah. And that's why I always really like to think about balancing my business in terms of like things that get me cash flow, get me money immediately, and then things that I can do over time. And so that's why I have those two aspects of I have the wholesale side, and then I have the e-com side, because the wholesale side is pretty easy to generate revenue pretty quickly. Like you email some stores, you say, here's my line sheet, like, do you want to buy it? And, and some of them are like, cool, let's, let's do it. So that's a really easy way to generate revenue quickly. Where I was right, the blogging Maybe it's six months till you start to see some traction. Maybe it's time until, you know, things start to like go viral on Pinterest. You know, someone might join your email list for a while, but it might take them a while, especially if you're selling more expensive products, right? Someone's, it's unlikely that someone's going to land on your website and be like, dude, I really want that $480 necklace and buy it the first time, right? Like that's, it, it not never happens, but it's not something that you can expect to happen necessarily right away. And so you have to balance this. How can I make money today? That's one of the questions I always ask is how can I make money today? But with like, what can I do to set myself up for success in the long term as well? 
And what are the what are the typical strategies or tactics there? So for me, the making money today thing, um, in the beginning, like I said, it was like retail shows and it was wholesale. And even now today, it's like, okay, well, if I don't see money coming down the pipeline, the first thing I should do is email my stores because I guarantee you somebody somewhere needs to reorder some product. And all I have to do is, is email them and say, hey guys, like, do you, do you need something? And generally the answer is yes, if I actually do it. So that's the first thing. And then the second one for me is actually emailing my list. And so I have a couple of lists. If I'm not emailing my store list, then I'm emailing my retail list for my website. And if I'm not emailing that list, then I'm emailing my list for designing an MBA. So I'm literally emailing someone and making an offer is what I found to be above and away the, the best way to make money today. Um, but I've also put in the work to build those lists. So if you aren't if you don't have those lists, then making money today might literally be like cold pitching a store or, you know, emailing some friends and being like, hey, can you spread the word about my line? Um, things like that. And then I balance that, like I said, with that content marketing strategy where it's like either, you know, here's here's a blog post or here's some content that deepens the connection or here's my product in use and here's where you can buy it. And those that's pretty much the whole thing. That's the this, bulk of everything that I do. That's the whole thing right there. You make it. You make it sound so simple and easy, which in itself actually is a, a sign of uh, intelligence, uh, certainly. the And when you lay it out, it's like, oh, duh, why doesn't everybody do that? Um, what is What would be like the mix or balance you would approach to you know, time invested in my today money versus my long-term set myself up for success strategy? Mm, that's, you know, that's a really good question. So for me, the like long term set myself up for success strategy, I like to keep that pretty short in terms of the amount that I spend on, on it on any given day, because I think that if you spend like four hours writing a blog post, and then nothing happens, that's really disheartening. Um, and so for me, those like, those kind of sowing the seeds make money in the future things, I like to keep those like I'm going to write a blog post in 15 to 20 minutes and then I'm going to pin it to Pinterest and I'm going to move on with my day. Like I am a very, very big fan of, of that, which is easy when you you think a blog post is one or two great images and a little bit of text and a link. Well, you can do that in 15 minutes and a half the time, like I'm taking them on my phone now. I do, I have a lot of images that I shoot in my DSLR, but as phone cameras keep getting better, I'm like, I don't need to get my whole camera out. I'm going to get out my phone and then I'm just going to like send that right to my computer, edit it for two seconds and put it on my blog. Um, and so I like to keep those short and then, you know, I'll maybe spend more time or like chunks of time where I'm doing those more immediate things like going to a trade show or emailing my stores. Um, but for me, honestly, the reason that I like to keep all of this stuff simple is I want to spend the majority of my day in my studio making stuff. Um, and that's what I see with my audience, with the artists and makers I work with too. It's like, I didn't go to school for seven years for metalsmithing so that I could spend all day on my computer or on my phone, right? I went to school for that long so that I could be in my studio making things that I love to make. And so my goal is always like, I want to keep things super simple so that by like nine, 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm like done with my computer crap for the day. I call it my marketing mornings. So like get out what I need to get out. And then by, you know, 10 o'clock, I'm like into the studio, making work, getting stuff out the door. Um, you know, that's for me really how everything that I do is in service of like, how can I spend as much time in my studio as humanly possible while making money? That's such a, a, a great uh, lens to look at it through. And it sounds like a lot of, once you have that lens, the tool to enforce it is a lot of time boxing and like giving yourself permission to just get it done as opposed to, it has to be perfect. To misquote Voltaire, perfect is the enemy of done. 
the actual quotes enemy of good but enemy of done works better in this case yeah um so like one of your examples was the simple just the camera one you said hey i just take a photo with my smartphone i don't pull out the dslr that's like a, a perfect example of how people trip themselves up where they go, oh, I need to create content. Oh, all right, I want to start vlogging. Okay, well, I got to research vlogging gear. All right, well, I need to buy the vlogging gear. And, okay, now I've just spent $4,000 on on vlogging gear. And oh, all right, well, now I got to learn how to edit it. And, uh, and pretty soon what you've discovered is you dropped five grand and you have produced nothing versus had you just picked up your phone that you already have, like instead of creating all these roadblocks, it is much more important to create the content than to try and make it perfect and be the next Spielberg. Because in no way do you have to be the best. You just have to show up, and that puts you ahead of 99% of people, right? Exactly. And I, for me, sometimes I like to run the test, test of, like, what is the shittiest thing I can put out in the world? And, like, if the sky doesn't fall down, then we're good. So, like, that's how I it's started. It's so freeing. It's, it is so freeing. And that's how I started, like, blogging more with just the pictures I was taking on my phone as I was, like, like I have... I very much love studio photography. I, you know, like I have lights, I have DSLR, I have the whole setup. And sometimes that's really fun. And sometimes that, that just takes too much time. And so I was like, okay, well, here's this kind of crappy picture I took with my phone of my ring. And I'm just going to put it on my blog and I'm going to pin it to Pinterest. And then it got like so much traction on Pinterest that I was like, wait, if that image is working, why, you know, why do I have to do these other images? I can do them when I want to because they're fun. But if the whole point today is I got to get a blog post up, then sometimes I'll honestly just open my phone and be like, what's already on my phone? Oh, look, I took a picture at the bar the other day of my ring. Cool. Let's blog that really quick. And that's kind of the whole strategy when the point is like, get it done so that you can move on to something else. And clearly it works. It works. It totally works. So uh, jewelry is tough to sell online. Handmade jewelry is, is harder to sell online. And expensive jewelry is the hardest to sell online, and your jewelry is not inexpensive. Um, you know, it's in like the mid three figures. A lot of stuff. What that has to make your life hard. How do you get people to buy? Uh, what's the secret there? Like, what motivates a customer to buy art or high end handmade products online? Yeah. So it, there's a couple of things, and the first is that there's just this feeling of like connection with me. And that's something that I think so many artists and makers try to skip over or they miss is they're like, okay, I'm going to be like this really professional brand because they want to be the opposite of what's happening on Etsy, right? Etsy is like, I'm trying to like, I make stuff in my kitchen table and I'm going to sell it really cheap. And so then if you're trying to get away from that, then you're like, I'm going to be this very professional brand and I'm going to use like we language on my website. And I'm like, it's not we, it's me. Like I'm a me. Um, and so first of all, if you're buying something expensive from an artist or a maker, it's not because like you're looking for the cheapest alternative. It's because you're looking for connection. You're looking through for authenticity. You're looking for some kind of personal interaction. And so the first thing is like, you literally have to be yourself. Um, and that can be as simple as like how you write an email or how you write a caption on Instagram where you're actually talking like a human instead of trying to like sound all corporate and, and speech. And then even just simple things like posting selfies of yourself every now and again to be like, hi, human, human makes this product. Um, so I think that's the first thing. And then if you can combine that with in some way or another, um, using like FOMO or the idea of scarcity, which as artists and makers, we have that very naturally. Like it, 
one of the, the biggest collections for me that really changed the way that I market um, my business, my jewelry online was my Contra collection, which are um, one of a kind stones that I sourced on a trip to India. So first of all, there's a story behind that, right, which creates a really great connection. Like I went to India, I went to this gem shop, I found these stones. So there's that, that authenticity, that connection, but then it's like, hey, every single stone is different. So here are these stones. This is when I'm going to release them. Actually, if you want them first, you have to join my email list because that's an email list subscriber is way more valuable than a social media follower. So like first dibs for me, always, first dibs always goes to my email list. But then if you want them, like here's when they're coming out, they're going to go on my website, boom, immediate scarcity. And that drives people to buy because they, it takes that like, okay, I, I kind of like it. I want it to like oh crap, it might not be there tomorrow. Um, and so I'm going to pull the trigger. And sometimes that means pulling the trigger on some pretty expensive pieces, like pieces in that collection. Um, when I first released it, because I wasn't sure if I would ever get the stones again, um, we're in like the 200 to $400 range. In that assessment, I heard a lot of implied mistakes that people make, <laughs> like valuing social media over email um, and you know approaching everything as like, we at Acme Corp, you know, when it's just like one person in a garage um, and not being personal in, in the face of the brand off the top of your head, what are the common mistakes you see other artists making when selling online? Yeah. So like I said, that, that first one is being trying to be a we instead of a me. So I'm going to be like a corporate brand instead of saying, I'm a human, I'm an artist. I have this vision. Um, so that's a big one. The second one is very simply not emailing their list enough um, because they don't want to bother people. So I actually had a woman in my online community tell me just the other day, um, she was like, how do I get my email followers to follow me on Facebook? And I was like, wait, and I was like, so how many people do you have? She's like, I have a thousand email subscribers. And I was like, dude, that is the wrong question. Like, why would you ever want to send those people to Facebook where you lose them? Um, but she's like, well, I don't want to email them because I don't want to bother them. I'm like, that is the, literally these thousand people who saw you in person and met you at a show want to know about your work. Um, please email them on a regular basis. So that's the other one is that even if they understand that email is like important and they're collecting it, they're just not emailing enough because they don't want to bother people. Um, so that's a big mistake. And then I think just putting up a website and hoping that people show up and buy um, is, is definitely a big one. And I would say an over-reliance on copy and words um, rather than telling a story with their visuals. Literally, my sister used to have a gift buying business. And so because of that, she would spend a lot of time reading Amazon reviews of things. And she would always say, it was amazing how many people would say, well, I'm giving this a bad review because it wasn't the size I expected, even though the dimensions were literally listed in the product description. If you want to show someone how big something is, stick a human in your picture. Like that is going to be so much more useful than saying it's 2.75 inches because you know what? Most people can't visualize 2.75 inches anyway, right? Instead of saying like, how can I write better copy? Because honestly, most, a lot of artists are pretty terrible writers. We're not taught how to write First, we're not taught how to write like humans. And second of all, we're just not taught to write. Um, but instead of trying to make your copy work, let your images do the work for you. We make visual products anyway. So that's the other thing is they get so stressed out about what they should say. And to me, it's like, let the, let the pictures do the talking. So certainly mastering, mastering photography sounds like it would be a, a valuable skill here. Um, oh, for sure. And again, like with smartphones, I mean, they're, yeah. they're just tremendous. And especially with like the editing apps that really, really add the polish on. 
Yeah, um, it makes a big difference. And I actually, so I, one of the classes that I developed because I saw this need was I actually run a class called Market Your Selfie, which is like a super tongue in cheek class or name for the class. But what it is, is most of the time it's me teaching jewelry designers, textile designers, people who make wearable products, how to model your own products um, and use that on your website, your blog, your email, because that's a big shift that I made that also really helped with my website. I have models, I would photograph on them, but it's really hard to coordinate with a model all the time, whereas I'm in my studio every day. And so if I want to show someone how big a necklace is, yeah, I can get my model and I can take a picture or I can put it on myself and I can take the picture and send the email and suddenly it's that connection with me, but it also gives that very real information of like scale and how it wears. Um, and so that's a big thing that I do as well as I'm like, you know what, I'm the most convenient model, so I'm going to shoot on myself. Um, but I developed the class because there are a lot of, um, call them issues around photographing yourself that all comes with like fear and doubt and like I'm not camera ready and I am literally before I started shooting on myself I am the least likely person to ever model my own work like I didn't even hire a photographer for my wedding because I was like I'm not paying for pictures of myself that I know I'm going to hate um, and then basically in like six months I transform myself into like here I am the primary model of my own work so you're your own best model and anybody could do it uh, mm -hmm. is what I'm hearing I'm including your a link to your course, Market Your Selfie, in these show yeah. notes as well for people because it sounds valuable. I have heard over and over email marketing and, uh, you know, so I could send an email and we're going to make a sale by yeah. sending out some emails. What is, what's your strategy for effective email marketing? Yeah, so the first thing is that I like to think about anytime I can build anticipation, I think it works so well. So if I'm going to launch something, the worst thing you can do is just send one email that says, hey, there's new stuff in my shop, because then it's like, okay, well, maybe I care, maybe I don't care. And so anytime I'm doing like a really big launch, especially for one of a kind products, but if I'm also even if I'm doing a big sale, I'll send like two or three emails in anticipation of that sale time so that people know it's coming so that suddenly like they're setting alarms on their phone, they're waiting for it. Um, and so really thinking about it as like an anticipation sequence instead of just a one-off, here's a new product, here's a new product, here's a new product, because people start to ignore those. Um, so for me, that's, that's a really big one. And it's funny because I don't do a ton of like targeting and segmentation um, that a lot of other people do because frankly, for myself and my audience, our lists are not that big. And so I think that's the other thing is like artists and makers get so hung up on like, I have to have auto responders and, and, you know, welcome sequences and all of these things. And it's like, yes, at some point, if you are trying to scale your business, you absolutely do. But if you have a thousand people on your list or you have 200 people on your list and you're never emailing them, stop worrying about setting up all the systems and just open your email provider and send an email. Um, and for me, the things that I have found works are like one image and a call to action. So not surprisingly, this sounds a lot like my blogging strategy, right? Um, because I've learned that if I have like a whole bunch of images, people aren't going to click through because there's no curiosity, but like one image that just gets them excited. And then a little bit that says, Hey, like here's where you can go shop this whole collection that really seems to work a lot better. And then I also write my emails like a human. So I, you know, I use first names, but then I talk like myself. I'll say, Hey, I've been in the studio. I'm really excited about this. I sign them off as Megan. Um, so that's the other one for me is that I'm never trying to create like a marketing email. I'm just trying to think like, how would I write to a friend if I was sharing this new design with them? Is brilliant advice. I mean, it's, a, and it's easier to create emails like that than to do like the fancy visual builder. Uh, right. 
just like to fire off an email that looks like a person wrote it to a person and includes a photo and a link to the collection. Like you are making this as accessible as possible. And I have seen this stuff works. So I know you're, you're absolutely right. We are coming to the end of our time together, but I don't want to go until you tell me about this book with this fascinating title. Try it and see how to get shit done while overanalyzing everything. Yeah, so this was a, a funny thing that came out of conversations that I was actually ha having with people in my online mentorship program, Artists and Profit Makers. And I was seeing over and over again, people like analyzing things. We talked about that, like procrastinate research. And so I was seeing these ideas. And so I just literally wrote down, you know, how to, you know, how to get shit done while overanalyzing everything. And I texted it to a friend and I said, this is either the start of a blog post or it's the subtitle of my autobiography. And I was kind of half joking when I said that, but then I was like, well, let's just start writing and see. Um, and it turned into a, an entire ebook um, and audiobook because most of my people like to listen while they work in the studio. Um, where literally I just went through and I thought about like, what are the things that I do that allow me to go back to our conversation at the beginning that allow me to get so much stuff done. Um, and people always ask me that question all the time. And I always thought people wanted to know about systems. Like what are my productivity systems or my productivity hacks? But I am not a systems girl. Like that is not the way my brain operates. And so what I realized was for me, it's these mindset shifts. It's thinking about, you know, how do I treat everything as an experiment? It's thinking about how do I ship every day, but not just ship every day. How do I get like the blog post or the email done super fast so that I can get into the studio and do what I really want to do. Um, and so basically I just sat down and thought about all the mindset shifts that I use to approach my work so that I'm not spending all this time researching or overanalyzing. And even when I do overanalyze, cause I'm a worrier, like that is my natural state. Um, it turns out that worry is part of being creative because it's your imagination kicking into overdrive. And so even when I am worrying, I'm still getting my butt into the seat, whether it's the studio or the computer and I'm getting crap done. Um, and so really it's the book is like a kick in the pants for like, get out of research mode, get out of analyze mode, just try stuff, do it, evaluate and, and keep doing those little things every day that build the business. This, I, I got to read this. Uh, I will <laughs> include a link to this in the show notes as well. Uh, Megan, this has been absolutely fantastic, informative, inspiring. I am thrilled with your advice. Um, you should be very proud of, of everything you've accomplished. Where could people go to learn more about you? Yeah, so you can go to my website, which is just meganalman.com, and that is where you will find jewelry, my kind of sort of personal sort of jewelry blog, um, and then links to my classes. And if you want more business-specific advice, you can also find me at designinganmba.com, and there are links to every single class that I teach, which is an awful lot of them, um, and links to my online mentorship program, Artists and Profit Makers. Very good. Megan, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Big news from our friends at Out of the Sandbox this month. Their newest theme just launched. It's called Flex. And it's for those of us who loved all the bells and whistles and turbo, but thought, I need more of this. That's where Flex is a game changer for you. It can be configured in an endless number of ways, thanks to more layout and section options than ever, more granular control of settings, and easy addition of custom CSS through the theme editor. It's perfect for development agencies like ourselves, as well as e-commerce entrepreneurs like you looking to create a unique online store experience for your customers. Now here's the coolest part. Flex has a new Demo Shop Import feature that allows you to fast track your shop setup based on any of 12 demo shops. You get all of the theme settings, layouts, content, and sections used in that demo shop of your choice applied automatically to your store. 
You can check Flex out right now at outofthesandbox.com. And if you like it, take 20% off the purchase price when you use code PODCAST20 at checkout. That's outofthesandbox.com and code PODCAST20. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high-quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.